Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, come apart on this day to spend time with you, uh, to be able to come before the throne of grace in prayer, to be able to come into your presence with thanksgiving, to be able to come around your word that you've given unto us and to uh, meditate upon the word, to spend some time considering the truths of your word. And we do pray that today as we open up the word of God, Lord, that uh, the precious word would indeed have an impact upon our hearts and upon our lives and upon uh, our very beings, Father God, that today we might be blessed, refreshed, encouraged, challenged by your word. Lord God, that you'd use your word to minister to us today. Uh, Father, we thank you that your word was given to us, that it might be a light to our feet and a lamp uh, to our path or way. And would you pray, Father God, that today you would minister to us through it. Give me wisdom, I pray, that uh, I'd know what to say, how to say it, and say it to your glory. And pray today, Father God, that you'd receive all the praise and all the glory as we study your word together. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the outstanding doctrinal truths of the book of Romans is that Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as our representative. He's the first Adam. He stood there as the representative of the whole of the human race. So that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. That when Adam died, we all died. We find ourselves in Adam in the book of Romans. (coughs) Excuse me. And Paul has explained that truth to us in Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 14, which we saw over the last couple of weeks. And having explained the truth, now the Apostle Paul embarks upon a list of opposites to explain to us further why God ordained Adam as our representative. Why it is that God said Adam would stand as our representative in the Garden of Eden. And he wants to explain further to us why this made it possible for us to have another great doctrine. Not only the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of redemption, but the doctrine of substitution. And here in verses 15 to 17, we see this great doctrine of substitution and these three contrasts. And that would be the first contrast, the offense and the free gift in verse 15. But not as the offense, so also as the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much uh, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded, unto many, the offense and the free gift. Now this is not a contrast of quantity, this is a contrast of quality. We're having the quality of the representation of Adam and Christ. And it starts out by saying this, but not as the offense, so also as the free gift. That's a rather peculiar phraseology. Well, it could also be written this way. But the free gift is not like the offense. That's what he's trying to say. The free gift is not like the offense. In other words, Adam gave an offense. And the consequence of that offense is that the entire human race 
as a result of Adam's offense, died. Jesus gives a free gift that has a consequence also. A consequence for the entire human race also, but in a different way. And that's the point of verse 15. The free gift is not like the offense. It has similarities, but a different outcome. Adam's work brought death. Jesus' work brought grace. And Paul first draws out our attention to the offense in verse 15. He says, not as the offense, so also as the free gift, for if through the offense of one many be dead. And through the offense of one, many be dead. Paul declares that by one man's offense, death reigned. Adam gave an offense. And the consequences of that offense, the consequences of that disobedience for the entire human race, as a result of that, is death. Many died. Now we're going to understand the word many there. It carries the idea of all mankind. Okay, It's, it's a, an idea that embraces all of us. But many died. Death reigned. The word reigned is the word ruled. It has the idea that death has ruled over mankind because of Adam's sin. The ruling factor over mankind is that all men die because Adam sinned. And because of Adam's sin, there is no escape from this ultimate tragedy. Death is a certainty. The offense, here in verse 15, for if through the offense of one, the word offense is uh, the idea of to stumble or to fall. What God says here in Romans chapter 5 is that in the Garden of Eden, Adam fell. Adam stumbled at the hurdle of obedience. God has said, of every tree of the garden, uh, they may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they shall not eat. For in the day thou eatest thereof, they shall surely die. There was one act of obedience that God required of Adam that was not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But at that, that obedience, at that hurdle, he stumbled. And when he partook of that forbidden fruit, he disobeyed God. Because of that disobedience, we're all subject to death. Now Paul contrasts that with this. Secondly, the free gift. In verse 15, he goes to say, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Adam's disobedience brought death, but Christ's obedience brought more, much more, for you and I. It brought more than physical life. It brought spiritual life. Christ conquered death. And one day he will raise our bodies, the bodies of those who believe in him will be raised again. All who die in Christ will rise. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 please. 1 Corinthians 15. says this. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, 
By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Here Paul contrasts Adam and Christ in the light of the resurrection. In Adam we all died, in Christ we're all made alive. But you know, if you stop there, if, if that's what this verse is all about, it's just about the fact that we've been given physical life, we've been raised to life, he would have only reversed the offense of Adam's sin. For the verse says he did much more. Isn't that what it says? But as, uh, not as the offense, also as the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of gr- by grace. Okay? So he did much more than what reversed the effects of Adam's sin. He did much more than reversed the effects of the death that reigned upon all men because of sin. And what he did was he did much more than that. He didn't just give to us physical life. He gave to us eternal life abundantly. Isn't that what John 10.10 says? John 10.10. A verse I'm sure we all know well. It says in verse John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He did much more than just give to us physical life. He gives to us eternal life. The grace of God and the gift of grace brought to all men eternal life. He says this, you and I have received the, the gift of grace. In verse 15, And the gift of grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This wonderful gift of salvation, this wonderful gift of eternal life, this wonderful gift of redemption and justification and reconciliation, this wonderful gift has appeared to all men. And this eternal life has been given to you and I who believe he has reversed the effects of Adam's sin, which was physical death and spiritual death, and has given unto us eternal life, forgiveness of sins. The, 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 uh, the grace of God has been given unto you and I so that we don't receive what we deserve, but we receive what we don't deserve. Jesus gives the free gift that has consequences for the entire human race. God's grace can never be outdone by man's sin. That's what he's saying here. He says the gift by grace, this much more the grace of God and the gift by grace. God's grace can never, ever be outdone by man's sin. Notice what it says in the end of the verse. It says Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. This grace which is doing much more than Adam's sin did, this grace that does much and cannot be outbid by sin, did much more, and what it did was it abounded unto many. It did abound. Here is the comparison. When Adam died, we all died. But when Christ, the second Adam, died, the gift of salvation abounded to all. That is, salvation became available for all who will believe. Romans 10.13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. What Adam did in the garden was disobey, and because of that, the consequence was death, physical and spiritual death. What Christ did in the garden uh, in, in the, on the Calvary, he died for you and I, and in so doing, the grace of God was made available to mankind, and the grace did abound unto us, so that all might be saved. There is enough grace for all who believe. As sin and death pass upon all men, there is sufficient grace for all men. That's a wonderful truth. Nobody stands outside the confines of God's grace. There is sufficient grace for all. The first contrast is the offense and the free gift. Now the second contrast is the judgment and the justification. Verse 16. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now the key phrase here is these two little phrases, not as, so is. Verse 16, and not as, and then next phrase, so is. Not as it was by one that is sin, so is the gift. Not as, so is. Here we are told that we are not going to find in the case of the Lord exactly what we find in the case of Adam. So it's not going to be the same as what happened in Adam. In Christ is going to be different. And the contrast here is the contrast of quantity. First one was contrast of quality. Now is the contrast of quantity. What is it able to do? So firstly, look at the judgment, verse 16. For not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. The consequences of sin was judgment. And the judgment was by one to condemnation. What we have here is giving to us the steps in detail of what happened. Adam sinned. God judged, and that brought condemnation. Adam offended, Adam sinned, and that led to judgment. Now the word judgment here in verse 16 is a judicial sentence. It's the idea of a, a, a judgment, a decision rather, that's passed on by a judge. The very term judgment conjures up the image of the law court with the judge sitting on the bench presiding over the matters that are going on. The image here is that the judge has heard the case. The evidence has been produced. The prosecution has presented it and has demanded a conviction. What defense there is has been put forward. And now having listened to all the evidence from both the prosecution and the defense, the judge pronounces his judgment. He delivers his sentence. And the sentence is this, that sin led to that judgment, and judgment now leads to condemnation. The judge declares that the verdict of this court is condemnation. God, the righteous judge, has listened to the evidence. 
He has listened to the trial intensely and his verdict is, his judgment is, condemnation. And so when Adam sinned, he was declared unrighteous and condemned. Of course, this should not have come any surprise to Adam because God had warned Adam beforehand that if he sinned, if he disobeyed, this would be the judgment. The judgment would follow. If the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It shouldn't surprise Adam that when he ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the consequence was death. God had said the judgment for your disobedience is condemnation. And now we're told that that's precisely what happened. The word condemnation means the passing of that judicial sentence on all mankind. And so we have in verse 16 is, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. Because of Adam, God judged all of us to be condemned. You and I are destined for a Christ's eternity if we don't know Christ our Savior. We're destined for the lake of fire. Condemnation awaits all those who reject Jesus Christ. Isn't that what John chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us? Let's go to John 3. John chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 16 to get the context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because you're not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned already. Those who are outside of Christ are condemned already. They're condemned in Adam. Adam sinned, God judged, and condemnation was that judgment. Because of Adam, we all deserve hell. Because of Adam, we all deserve to spend eternity separated from God. Because of Adam... We all deserve to spend eternity in the lake of fire unless a substitute could be found. And that leads us to the contrast. The contrast in verse 16. Look at the end of the verse. And the, sorry, and, uh, but the free gift is of many offenses under justification. Here is the glorious contrast to the fact that you and I are condemned. It's justification. Judgment but there's justification. Christ is our substitute and because of his work upon the cross of Calvary we have available to you and I today the free gift of salvation the free gift of justification but the free gift is of many offenses under justification you and I have been given a free gift by the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been given a free gift of salvation under justification. You and I can be declared righteous because of what Christ did. The righteousness of Christ stands opposed to the guilt of Adam's sin. For as Adam's disobedience and the consequence of his disobedience was imputed to all of us, so death passed upon all men, the very character of Christ, death upon Calvary, and his sacrifice for us, and the payment for our sin, when we by faith believe in him, have imputed to us his righteousness. We're declared 
righteous, we're justified. Justification is available to all who believe in him. Here is another instance of abounding grace of God. It says, but the free gift of many offenses and justification. We've talked about the abounding grace in verse 15. Now we talk about the abounding grace again in different terms in verse 16. Not only over sin of the one man, but also over the sins of many. Because notice what it says, the free gift is of many offenses under justification. Many offenses. By one single act of disobedience, that sin resulted in condemnation. That's what this verse says. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, by one single act of disobedience of Adam. By that offense was brought judgment, condemnation upon all men. By the one single act of the second Adam, Jesus Christ on Calvary, he sacrificed his life, he shed his blood. Why? For the free gift, which is too many offenses unto justification. You see, by Christ's act of obedience and his work of redemption on Calvary, he made provision for the forgiveness, not only for that sin, Adam's offense, but for all sin. There's a glorious truth here. It's even though we all sinned in Adam, and therefore we all die, as Adam sinned, we all sinned, and as Adam died, we all died. The truth is, you and I also sin because we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. And just paying for Adam's sin would not secure our redemption because he had to pay for our sins also. Hence the free gift is of many offenses under justification. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. It is our offenses. Not only did he die for the Eve offense, Adam's sin, which resulted in judgment and condemnation, which resulted in all men dying, he died on Calvary for all sins, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. For the wage of sin is death, he died for all sins. Therefore, he is, his sacrifice is an evidence of abounding grace. His sacrifice was sufficient for all. I read this illustration this week. I thought it was pretty good. A man goes out into the bush, and he takes a match, and he sets fire to a tree. A small action that anyone could do, that's what Adam did. He committed a small action that anyone could do. But then the result of that small action of, in Adam's case, the offense, and the case of the fellow in the bush is setting light of the tree, you know what would happen in the bush. The fire would travel up the tree and soon the whole bush would be on fire. We'd have a bushfire. Now suppose somebody came along and put out the whole thing. Would not the separate operation be vastly greater, much more greater than the first? Well, that's the point here. Adam, by one offense, caused condemnation to pass upon all men 
so that we're all going to die. But in Christ, he died not only for Adam's offense, but for all our offenses. He did the much more, the greater thing than Adam did. The first Adam brought death upon all men. The second Adam took care of Adam's sin and all our sins. Jesus paid it all. That's a glorious truth. He paid it all. He didn't just pay for what Adam did, but he paid for all of our sins. Your sins and my sins upon the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be the beneficiaries of justification. That's what verse 16 says. But the free gift is of many offenses under justification. The truth is this, that what Christ did on Calvary, he paid for all my sins. There is not any sin that I have committed or indeed will commit that is not covered by the blood Therefore, there is no potential that I could ever lose my salvation because of some slip-up in the reckoning. Christ paid it all. And that ought to get excited. That ought to cause you and I to rejoice. Jesus paid it all. The first contrast, the offense and the free gift. The second contrast, the judgment and the justification. Now, thirdly, we have the third contrast, the death and the life. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they, that, uh, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Because of Adam's disobedience, death reigned. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, Genesis 5 tells us, that Adam died. It says, and he died. Now this contrast is the contrast of certainty. We saw the contrast of, uh, we've seen the contrast of uh, uh, quantity. We've seen the contrast of quality, now, uh, rather quality, quant quantity, and now we see the contrast of certainty. First we see death. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Now once again, we have a repetition of what's been said already in this passage. Adam stood as our representative. Because of his offense, death reigned and all men died. Verse 12, wherefore as by one man's sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now the Lord thought it important that he repeats this over and over again for you and I. Okay, this is not me just getting repetitions in my sermons for the sake of getting repetition. This is what's said in Romans. And for some reason, the Lord states it in verse 12. He repeats it then from verses 13 to 17. And by the way, from verses 18 to 21, he's going to repeat it again. It's, it's as though you and I need to grasp this with both hands and understand it. And there's no ambiguity, there's no misunderstanding what he's talking about here. The truth of the matter is this, that as Adam stood as our representative in the garden... And because he stood there and he offended, then death reigned upon all men. It was the single act of Adam that gave death the reigning power over us. His act in the garden caused the reigning power of death to be in us. It caused the death of Adam and it will cause the death of every man, woman and child. 
These words are a repetition with further explanation even of verse 15. From verse 15 he says, but not as the offense, so also the free gift. Now he tells us, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Death is represented here as a mighty monarch, as a powerful king. A king that deigns not only corporal death, but moral and spiritual death. The reign of death is powerful. The reign of death is destructive in the affairs of human beings. We cannot escape death. We cannot escape the effects of death. We can find all the potions we want in the world to, to limit aging. We can put creams upon us. We can take medications. We can drink fish oil. We can uh, take fish oil tablets. We can uh, spray on and uh, eat food and change our diets. But ultimately, we all die. You can't prevent the aging process. We all get old. And then ultimately we all die. This body is wearing out. And even if you extend life for a few years, ultimately we all die. We can't escape the effects of sin, which is death. It's all around us. But there is a wonderful contrast. And that is life. Verse 17. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Here's a clever play on words. Because one man's sin, death reigned, all died. Much more, if sin can do that, then what can God's grace do? If sin can do that, God's grace can do even more. If sin can bring death, well, God's grace can do a whole lot more than that. In Jesus Christ, we can all receive, it says here in verse 17, receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in, one li in life by one, Jesus Christ. The word receive here is to get hold of. So we read, much more, they which receive abundance of grace, once we get hold of grace through faith, in Jesus Christ. When you and I by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are recipients of God's grace. For by grace you saved through faith. So when you and I embrace grace by faith, you and I get hold of grace. And then what does it say? It says, uh, receive abundance of grace. The word abundance means superabundance, overflowing. When you and I by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive a superabundance, an overflowing benefit of that grace. And that grace brings to you and I the gift of righteousness, which shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. There is sufficient grace for all who believe. Nobody is unable to receive God's grace. All who trusted Jesus Christ, their Savior, have been and will be declared righteous. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, 
And a consequence of that belief in salvation is that we receive the abundance of God's grace and in so doing, you and I are indeed declared righteous. And we receive the gift of righteousness. As sure as death is certainty is a certainty because we're related to Adam. All those who are related to Christ by faith are guaranteed eternal life. Remember last week we talked about that? If you're in Adam, the consequence of being in Adam is death. Physical and eternal separation from God. The consequence of being in Christ by faith in Him is that you and I receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We are guaranteed eternal life. And notice what it says. But the free, oh, sorry, it says, and the free, oh, sorry, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. We shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. Those who receive God's gift of grace and this gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not looking to the future reigning in the millennial kingdom. Even though that's true, one day you and I will reign with Christ. You and I will return with him at the end of the tribulation period, and you and I will reign with Christ, says that in Revelation for us. But that's not what it's talking about here. Because that's not the context here. Here is that one, Jesus Christ, if we receive by grace, and henceforth have therefore receive righteousness, we no longer have death reigning over us, but rather we reign in life. Remember, in Adam, by the offense of one, death reigns. For if by one man's offense, death reigns. By one. Death reigns. It rules over us. But through Christ... We reign in life. We can conquer sin, conquer death. What a great contrast. Look in Romans 8.37, please. 8.37. It says this, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We can, we've conquered sin. And he conquered sin, he conquered death, and we are in him, we too conquer sin and conquer death. Once we were slaves to sin, now we are the masters of life. We reign now in spiritual life over sin. Satan and the world, you and I are the victors. You and I are on the victory side. You and I are indeed reigning in life. So that even death for the believer is not death. It's simply passing through the valley of the shadow of death into the new life in Him, in glory. We have, right now, in our possession, eternal life. We're seated already in the heavenlies with Him. We now reign in spiritual life. Paul explains that in the case of believers, the reign of death is not really replaced by the reign of life. 
But what happens is we participate in the reign of life. The, the imagery here is that you and I are reigning with him as kings and priests. Isn't that what Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 says? And he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us kings and priests. Not only has he reversed the consequence of Adam's offense, which is death, and given to you and I life, eternal life, but now you and I reign as kings and priests in this new life, in him. We can have victory over sin. We can have victory over Satan. We already have victory over death. Sure, we will pass from this life. This life will end and we will die. Our bodies will die physically, but we will live eternally because of what Christ did at Calvary. In Adam, we lost our kingship. But in Jesus Christ, we reign as kings and priests. Well, let's give thanks to our God today. You have such a wonderful Savior who reversed all for all who believe in Jesus Christ, their Savior, the dreadful effects of Adam's disobedience. Here are the great contrasts for you and I. The offense and the free gift. The judgment and the justification. The death and the life. Jesus Christ is our substitute on the cross of Calvary. And in Him, by faith in Him, we receive the gift of grace, the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness. We've been declared righteous. We're justified. We reign with Him as kings and priests because of Calvary. Do you know Him today? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Is He your substitute today? He died for you. Do you know him? And if you do, if you're saved today, I trust you're getting a little bit excited about this passage in Romans 5 because it's exciting. Because Jesus Christ did much more than what Adam did. Adam brought an offense which brought condemnation, but Jesus did much more. And because of our relation to him, we stand redeemed, justified, Forgiven, recipients of the abundance of God's grace on our way to heaven, possessors of life eternal. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, for um, the book of Romans. We thank you for these contrasts in Romans. And Lord, how exciting they are to know what Christ did for us on Calvary. And Lord, may we not lose sight of that, but may we get excited by it. And Lord, if anybody watching today who doesn't know you as their Savior, may they come to know you before it's eternally too late. Bless our time now as we uh, think about these things, meditate upon them, guide throughout this afternoon, and bring us back together again tonight to once again sit under the ministry of your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.